Hello and welcome to Turtle Tracks Podcast. I'm your host, Brian Van Hooker, and I'm here with Ciro Nielli, who is the executive producer on the Ninja Turtles 2012 series. How you doing today, Ciro? Pretty good, Brian. How are you? Good. Uh, on behalf of the fans, thank you for legitimately creating the best turtle show ever. It's really, Aww. truly is. Thank you, man. Uh, I'm glad to be here. Uh, that's flattering to hear. Uh, that's nice. It means a lot to me. <laughs> well, I mean, I- I'm going to get back to the beginning later but honestly i wanted to ask my most quest most pressing question up front uh what happened to pigeon pete oh <laughs> i think pigeon pete just uh you know he just ate some bad bird seed or something <laughs> i mean i think the line wasn't it like we don't talk about what happened to pigeon pete yes it is suggested uh, that something had happened and yet yeah found out so i've been wondering ever since it's one of those things. It's like, I think we always wished we could have had enough episodes where we would go and show that backtrack story. And uh, so it's never been fully written, but it was just this idea of something completely absurd happening to him. Um, one thing I, the thing about pigeon Pete with me was that there was uh, early on, it was actually Pete pigeon and Pete pigeon was a very different character. Pete pigeon okay. was actually like, imagine just like, a guy like with a mustache straight out of like 1978 in tight jeans, but no t-shirt, but he had like two chicken drumsticks on his back, like, like <laughs> chicken, uh, like horrible fried chicken wings, like a mutation that went wrong. So he was the idea that he was more man than chicken. Okay. And, um, so I think somewhere along the way, like instead it became, uh, you know, the other way around pigeon Pete where he was more pigeon. And I think, there was some idea that like, did he try to reverse retro mutagen himself and became that horrible, unfortunate, you know, sure. deformed flightless man bird. Yeah. <laughs> With like, and there was like a, I know there was like a no shirt, no shoes, no dice kind of thing that was like going to be a runner with him. But yeah. And then we just, you know, the show ended and we never got there. It's a lot of shows we didn't make that we used to joke about. Um, especially about Casey. You, uh- so. I spoke to Peter DiCicco, uh, not a few, maybe a year or so ago on this podcast. And he was, uh, sort of explained that like, he didn't know, but since Mondo came in, he kind of filled that comic void and it just seemed to make more sense to stick with Mondo. So. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. You mean Mondo Gecko, right? Yeah. Mondo Gecko. Yeah. 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 Which might yeah, there's too many, too many guys, you know, like it's sure. a, that was a hard show to like, and then, you know, there's a, the, the practicality too of making a show is you have a price cap on the talent that you can bring in in terms of the actors. Sure. So, you know, and like your average show is not that high. And I think on turtles, we got it to 10 voice casts, which is ex- ex- like an extremely long, large number, but you got four turtles, a splinter, a Karai and April, which are always kind of like going to be there. And then Shredder shows up. You're already at like, what, like eight. So it's hard to go like, well, now we're going to have the Mighty Mutanimals. And it's like, well, there's one of them. Uh, right, sure. <laughs> you know, we never, like, so it so sucks. Like if we did a movie, yeah, you could do like 20 Mutanimals. It'd be wicked. But yeah, yeah I think Gecko was way cooler too. I mean, he had so much, you know, Robbie Wrist is so awesome. I mean, not not to downplay the performance for Pigeon Pete, but you know, I think Mondo instantly, like those, those episodes were really strong. That first episode for Mondo. That was maybe my favorite episode of that whole series is this Mondo's introduction. I remember like 
totally geeking out, hearing his voice, getting the cowabunga in there. Like I was, that's maybe my favorite episode of that show. Yeah. I think, I think it was a lot of like, it, it tied a lot of like the nostalgia and the vibe of what turtles was for in a lot of, not just generations, but like, you know, mediums, like whether it was toys. Cause I thought the toy was great. And then it, it the skateboarding thing was such a, is such a pop culture staple of the early to mid eighties, you know, and to, and to be able to kind of like, to me, he was like a, a Bones Brigade's character. So like, and then, the, and then of course he said it, the, the Calabunga thing, it just, it just felt like it really cemented like the good times aspect of Ninja Turtles yeah, um, and what that potential was. So I don't know. It was like, he was, he was just awesome. Like everything about him now. And that was an extremely sophisticated uh, character animation model. Mm-hmm. Um, I think at that point we were like at some Zenith with like what we were trying to achieve on like we had, you know, in the beginning of that show, we had like major limitations on what we could and couldn't do. That's why, like, if you look at, you'll notice it more towards the end of the series. If you look at like a turtle next to say like Amando, you're going to go, these guys look like they're from two different worlds. And it was really because there was certain amount of metrics that we were told to follow, which is the amount of detail that could render to afford like our budget and I think I, it, it was some weird number. Like in the beginning, it was something like a turtle could only, like a character could only have 12,000 polygon, whatever that means. Right. Okay. And I think, I think by the time you got to someone like Mondo, it was probably more like 120,000. Oh, wow. So like you're getting things like, that's why like the toes and stuff on the turtles look all like chunky, you know, like it was sure. like, it had to be stylized to be able to achieve it because, um, you know, just previous, the only thing that, that um, Nickelodeon had made in CG was, um, what was that show? It was, um, it was a comedy show, but it was like very simple. And I'm not knocking the show. It was just cartoony. And it was not like, it didn't have the requirements that you would need for like a, a fully realized action show, sure. you know? where like characters are scaling walls, there was scale issues, there was, you know, you can't just, all of a sudden it wasn't about two characters having a conversation on a couch. It was like, they have to be able to stand on a windowsill and get on sure. a rooftop. And it was insane. It was an insane show to make for Nickelodeon. It was a big first time adventure and, you know, but with every show they learn and get better. So like they're making uh, a Star Trek show now, which is like gonna be like completely incredible looking. And like a lot of the same guys who were on turtles are going to make that show amazing. Like, so that's something to look forward to. It could be really beautiful. Like all new technology too. Like, even though my show ran for, I think we we're making that show for like close to nine years. Like we were trapped with the technology that we started with. You I can't see. go up, even though the technology improves, you can't just go, we update like you have to stay with what you started or else you'd have to do a complete overhaul of every asset that you've ever built, which makes them unaffordable, you know? So it's like switching your car from like, uh, from a gas to diesel car. Like, Oh, it doesn't matter if you have diesel, like you just, you got to stick with the gas car. So that, that was a little painful, but anyway, that's real techie. (laughs) No, that's good stuff. I I mean, like I, one thing I wanted to ask you was like, how, when a show like that ends, what happens to the assets? Like, where do they go? Uh, they might show up in Star Trek. <laughs> <laughs> if they have an episode they can't afford and they go back to like, you know, 
to like Earth in the 30s. Maybe we'll see a brick building show up or something. I don't know. Or like a fork. Uh, sure. I mean, that was the cool thing about that show. Like I, I, I was, and there's all reason why I didn't continue there or that show didn't continue. And it wasn't personal. It's just like the way business goes. But there was this fantasy that, or the, the right of mind that, hey, we're not just making a turtle show. What we're doing is we're building a digital studio complete with a digital soundstage complete with incidentals that we can call up at any point to walk around and a whole prop house. Like whether you need a, you know, a 1968 Lincoln, or if you need like a, you know, a kitchen knife, like we got everything like a blender. We had made every single thing possible. And so, yeah, like the idea was like, if I got a new show moving forward after turtles, and it was some sort of action earth-based show. Like I would have reused every single piece of turtles. Oh, wow. Make it, That's like, it exists like a soundstage. It's just there. It's not just a soundstage, uh, like, but as like a studio lot, it's like a fake city and everything. Oh, wow. That's cool. But you know, who knows where that stuff is now? I guess it's archived and sitting on some hard drive somewhere. Sure. Um, like shortly after turtles ended, I made a, a a 4d amusement park ride using all those assets um for for ninja turtles but it was overseas only um we didn't get to see it here in the states a, a, a mall not that far from me has some of those turtle ride things oh. on your turtles oh uh, yeah you're by the mall of america i uh, know the american dream mall the one in jersey okay there's like a Nickelodeon land and there's some turtle stuff in there. I, I didn't go. I was like, Oh, I'll go at some point. Uh, Cause it's a little pricey right now when I was, I stumbled upon it and then uh, the pandemic hit. So I uh, still haven't gone, but there's some turtle shit in there. So is it, do you know if there's a, um, uh, like it's almost a, like, it would be like one of those theaters you sit in, it's a 4d movie. And then there's like interacting lights and scents and like they spray. Oh, water I don't think like so. That. I think it's more oh, like okay. little roller coasters and stuff. Okay. Yeah. Cause I did, that's what I made. I, I, I directed and we, we uh, got it made with some of the same animation crew. It was like, it's about like an eight minute short of the, it's pretty cool. Um, oh, wow. I need to find, and hopefully it's on YouTube or something. I'll check it out. Uh, I don't know. I don't know if it would be like, I've never seen anything happen with it. Like uh, it was supposed to be in um, Spain and like Portugal and the UK, they told me, but I have not like, you know, <laughs> I didn't get to travel to see it, but right. it was pretty wild. And it was cool because we got to use the same exact assets that were used in the series, but they were, um, we used a different rendering pipeline, which gave it real light, like actual light fall on the characters, which actually never happened in the series. Like the series, we cheated the lighting. How? I mean, like, I, I don't I have no technical brain whatsoever, but like, what do you mean you cheated it? Um, the, the one tell is, you know, if some character walks through a room and there's, you know, a light change as they enter the room, you would see it like cascade over them. So like we, we would do a thing instead where we would create a mat and, and the light, we could do a change of color on the character as they moved around space. But okay. there was no actual, cause you're not actually rendering light falling on the characters, which is a whole complete render. Like, you know, it's a full character render. So like you're able to render things a lot cheaper and faster. Um, so yeah, like uh, having that, real lighting on those same models was kind of extraordinary. It looked amazing um, for that little eight minute thing. Uh, it was oh, nice cool. to see that, but 
I don't know. Maybe some kids in in in, in Spain got to enjoy it. <laughs> it was weird. You know, rewinding back to the beginning a bit, I wanted to kind of get into your history. Um, so you grew up uh, with the turtles. I mean, were you into the cartoon, the comics? Like, what was you like? What was the turtles for you when you were a kid? Um, <clears throat> well, for me, it was mostly just uh, you know I discovered that first issue of the Mirage book like when it dropped, like it wasn't, um, it wasn't, I didn't buy it after the fact I was there when that book came out. And if you know anything about the history of that book, uh, I was fortunate. I grew up in Philadelphia that that book did not travel too far away from that Northeast corner. Like, I don't think that book got past Chicago and I don't think it got as far South as, as Florida even. Um, so yeah, I got that first issue and I kind of completely like, you know, like it kind of blew my mind because on one hand it was, you know, this mm -hmm. like hard driving adult kind of dramatic, you know, action movie thing. And on the other hand, it was, it was so odd. It was like, it had its own charm and personality that was nothing like the DC and Marvel stuff that I really enjoyed you know, uh, that I, that was, that was all I knew really up until that point. So it kind of blew my mind. Um, you know, the nods to Frank Miller I was familiar with. So like, it was right up my alley. Like I, I was really into that. Um, cartoon, but, you know, did you get into that cartoon, too? The cartoon came along and I was just, you know, I was the guy that was telling everybody that the best thing in the world was Ninja Turtles comics. And then, you know, all my friends, they wouldn't go to comic shops and stuff. So what did they know? They didn't care and they didn't look into it. And then that cartoon came out and it kind of just it backfired on me because it was like a baby show, <laughs> you know, and not to shade on that show. It's just, they're just two completely different things. Yeah. Um, and that was a different time. Like, you know, I would, I tuned into the show excited and like my jaw dropped and like there was, I just didn't know how that thing was kind of a possibility Sure. You can have two things that are the same thing, but not at all the same yeah. thing. I was one of the kids that grew up on the cartoon and then like, you know, discovered everything else afterwards. So like, yeah. I yeah. Mean, I talked to a lot of people that way. Like, I was talking to my friends last night who were really into gremlins and they're all into gremlins too. And I was like, you know, gremlins too is such a baby movie. It's like, I don't understand why I was trying to be Looney Tunes when like the first one was a kid's movie that like was actually like uh, like a, a disguised horror film <laughs> and there are kind of like, yeah, well the, the, that's our age difference. They're like, we got to watch gremlins two first. And then we saw gremlins later on video and it was like the good stuff. So it just made their love for gremlins stronger. And I was like, I felt kind of gypped. Like I, I, I think I'm in this like very specific zone where like everything I liked got worse and like <laughs> that are like three or four years younger than me all got to see things get better. Like by watching VHS, like in retrospect, I like, even like, wrong, but I feel like I heard that uh, Joe Dante preferred gremlins too. Cause he was kind of let off the leash a little bit, which is mm -hmm. interesting to me because I, I kind of was always of the belief that uh, it was better, but like, I kind of love, they're two very different animals and I kind of love them each for what they are. Weirdly. Right. Right. But I mean, I'm surprised I, to hear Dante preferred too, which I, I don't know if that's true or not because I could be making it up. So he probably, I, I could see that. I mean, he's a, he's a big like Looney Tunes guy. So I feel like oh, that really? was his like love letter to Chuck Jones and Termite Terrace. And I think that's what he wanted to do. Um, 
I mean, I can't hate on that movie. I like it too. I'm a huge Rick Baker fan. So like there's stuff that Rick Baker did in that movie that just kind of blows my mind. So like, yeah, no, like uh, Gremlins 2 is really cool. I mean, especially now, I mean, it's practical. Like it's just totally like, I think when you're like, I don't know how old I was for that even. I can't even remember. I must have been, I might have been more like on the, like 14. I was just kind of like, what is this? Like, I don't understand why this is happening now. It's wildly Mugwai. different. It's wildly a little different. crazy-eyed gremlin, or a little crazy-eyed Mogwai that's just like I, I love it, but it's it's a completely different plan. Yeah, the first one. Yeah. You know, get back at turtles. Uh, so how did you um first get that position? How did you end up pitching your show to Nick and and making the turtle show? Uh, just normal. Like you hear about something, and they were they were kind of just taking interviews and pitches, mm-hmm. and uh, so my manager just set up a meeting and I just kind of went in and, um, you know, it was a weird time. Like, uh, I think I was a little naive about like the actual breath that Nick was taking to find talent for that show. So mm-hmm. I kind of went in just acting like I was the only fish in the pond because, um, you know, it was an action show that was about to start and I knew all the action guys in town and they were all busy. So I kind of went in thinking like, not that I was the greatest choice, but that, you know, I was the only one that was available. <laughs> you know, I was just kind of sure. like, here I am, I'm the turtle guy, let's do this. And they were like, wait, what are you talking about? <laughs> and I go, well, what do you mean? And they go, well, you know, I was like, this is kind of my shit. And they were like, yeah, everybody says that congratulations uh prove it to us and it was like wow and uh <laughs> it was it literally went that way and the guy who was in charge there at the time of development his name was uh 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 um brooke burke is that wait what was his name he was burt yeah he 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 was like I felt like he almost like kind of challenged me and I I went away for about three weeks and like wrote and drew a bunch of stuff and came back and did like a full blown presentation on like boards, like actually like printed artwork out pretty big and, and, you know, discussed it as I scrolled through my art, you know, physically. And, uh, and he was just kind of like really, really, really excited about it. And like, was like, Oh, okay. I believe you now. Like, this is cool. So I kind of earned it. I just, uh, you know, it was a, it was a different time though, man. Like it was, it was, everything was still like kind of analog back then. Like the digital explosion and animation had not yet happened. Um, you know, when we started out, everything was, I think the previous job, I was still doing storyboards on paper, you know? So it was a different world. Like to be able to walk in with like actual drawings and impress them was cool. Everything now is like, you know, super painted and like, you know, they do like PowerPoint presentations and procreate and everything's like very fancy. And I think you, I think the execs are very wowed by like just the vision, like shiny things, you know, uh, <laughs> sure. I think back then, uh, he, you know, the execs kind of like put their faith in me and it became like, and I, and I loved it because it was kind of like, there was a lot of respect there and there was kind of a, a relationship where I was set up to succeed, you know? So I didn't feel I felt confident in what I was being asked to do. It wasn't like I could lose this job or they want to replace me or I'm not up for it. So, you know, it was, it was a nice time creatively. It was busy, but you know, it was intense. And that, that development period lasted maybe a year plus. 
before the show, like actually officially got greenlit and before I got officially hired full time as like the showrunner. Oh, wow. I had kind of like a truncated temporary paycheck to be there drawing it full time. Like it was for a while, it was just me. Like I think for the first six months, I was there alone, just day and night drawing. Like, you know, they come in and be like, draw Shredder now. And I would draw Shredder for two or three days and we'd look at it. It's crazy. Oh, cool. Wow. I mean, you can tell though, I mean, the amount of like, the amount of a fully realized world it is, is just like, it's spectacular. You know, one thing I wanted to ask you about it too is like, uh, there's so much new original stuff in it, but there's also a part of that that's like kind of the best of everything, like the best from the movie, the best from Mirage, and like uh, and the old cartoons. So, like, I-, I was curious about how you pulled in that old source material. Like, did you have any sort of method to it at all, or? Um, geez, it wasn't necessarily like a plan. It was just like. I mean, there was definitely a roadmap for how I wanted it to play in the beginning, which was enough to get going without thinking about it. Um, and then towards the end, like, you know, as you get to like the middle and moving forward, you're, it takes on a bigger life. It becomes, you know, playmates is involved and Comic-Con rollouts are involved and press and media uh, like you're, you're doing like press stuff through the media and, and everybody wants to know where things are going to go and what the hook is. And that, and I think that was a kind of around more like season three. And I think that's when you started having to go, well, they're asking us kind of to start mining the past and doing okay. like the best stuff cuts. But, you know, in the beginning it was more like, um, <clears throat> It was smaller. I mean, the stories in the beginning were more about the turtles and the goal for me was more about developing the relationships and making those characters seem real. So things like, I, you know, the first season very much is about the turtles still being boys mm. under the guard of their father. And um, the second season is more about them finally like getting on their own. So it, it was more broad things like that. Like the other stuff is just details and uh, extra stuff to just kind of help you. I, I think what was happening uh, in the beginning, we had a lot of problems. I, you know, like they really, you know, the assortment of toys is a big thing with Playmates. Like what ships in a case. And they, they wanted like endless, endless um monsters and it was really hard in the beginning and i had the support of my two writing partners at the time um that we were kind of backing them off because we didn't want to do a monster show in the beginning like we we thought it was a bad idea to have a show that was called teenage Mutant ninja turtles and that the the turtles weren't special in their mutation that Mm -hmm. like there were just four mutants among like a sea of a hundred other mutants yeah and i thought that that was like kind of ill thought uh, and everyone kind of bought onto that and like kind of agreed finally. So that was good. So like we were able to make more of a show that was, you know, about the martial arts and the history and the family feud. And it was like turtles freaking out humans like that. I like that better, you know? Yeah. And then season two became kind of like, you know, the levy kind of broke and playmates was kind of like, we need our monster assortment figures. So, you know, I think season two was more like, you know, uh, 
we used to call it like mon- monster madness or mutant madness. Like we, it was like, let's just open the floodgates and start bringing in the best of cuts. And, you know, I really love monsters. So to be able to look back at those, we look mostly at the figures too, not even the old show. But I thought there's, there's something a little bit more uh, ageless and iconic about some of the toys. Sure. Yeah. But the animation of the show sometimes makes things look a little odd, but like, you know, if you have like a, like for instance, that like uh, that old um, uh, Mutagen Man figure is awesome. I couldn't oh, wait yeah. to the Mutagen Man story. So like you know, we had a lot to pull from, and a lot of it was the toys. Um, as much as I had, like fought off Playmates in the beginning, like it was a that show completely embraced Playmates. You know? But oh, yeah, uh, eventually season three, everyone was kind of more of an expert, like the execs, like everyone involved, the press. And they were pushing on us to do like, they were kind of pushing their will on what the story of the show was a little bit more like you guys have to do this now you guys, you know, but it was more about pushing sales. Like, you know, not so much story. They weren't, they wouldn't tell us what stories to tell. It was more like we need these many things to come out this fast vehicles, whatever. Sure. Um, So it was, it was kind of difficult, you know, to have the creative meet the commerce and kind of live like in harmony in a, in a good way. But that's, that's how it always is though. Kind of like when you got to Northampton, like you got to kind of bring in a lot of your horror influence. Cause I know you're a big horror guy. Like once you get to Northampton, you seem to have some fun with the creeper and other characters that like these monster of the week type things that worked. Yeah. Yeah, But we caught, we caught some shit for that though. (laughs) <laughs> i think it was a little too horrifying at times and then yeah. um there was one story that we planned to make uh that was killed um and uh it got replaced like twice that story got killed um but it, w- it would have been the you know things things are planned and then they get they can get shuffled around so it might have been like the fourth or fifth story we had but it ended up coming out where we ended up having to come up with a completely innocuous, goofy second episode for that season, which is the Bigfoot, the oh. transvestite Bigfoot episode. Okay. Um, uh, which I still like, but like tonally it's so jarring. Like there was another show that slotted in that place that we had planned that got canceled. Well, what was um, that episode? Can you share that? It was, um, uh, this, it was going to be our Halloween episode actually. Um, it was going to fit in a little bit later, I think. So it aired right around Halloween and it was basically the boys are in Northampton and, um, they had never trick or treated before. So like, they're all getting to talking with Casey and April about it. And then there's like, it's like late at night and it's dark out. Um, you know, the sun's down already and uh, there's a knock at the door and a boy's there and it's a boy wearing like a Halloween costume like an old like Ben Cooper or like Collegeville, like the, you know, the, the, what do they call it? Like a vacuform plastic mask with the elastic. Okay. Sure. So he's kind of like a sweet little kid and they let him in, but the kid ends up being, you know, not what they expect. He ends up being like the spirit or ghost of some dead boy, like in a mutated, like corpse, oh body, like that fused with his Halloween costume. And it ended in some kind of like crazy battle in the afterlife. And like the network just like lost their shit. They were like, this is not happening. Not, 
not after you did like Friday the 13th, Evil Dead, The Thing, Exorcist, like everything is in like those first five or six shows. It's just like, like Fangoria greatest hits. They were just kind of like, and they were concerned. They were like, you're not turning this into like a fucking horror show. <laughs> like I think, <laughs> And I think it was like, you know, that was the kind of joy of working with Brandon because I, I kind of grew up with Brandon and, and him and I read those magazines. So like we kind of, didn't realize that we had encouraged each other into doing that. Um, and we thought it was perfectly fine. Um, but you know, the network, I, I get it. Like I understand their shock and their concern, but I think we were always doing things with the best uh, intentions in mind. We weren't trying to subvert or be terrible. Um, I truly believe that if you scare a kid, um, you actually trick a kid into becoming like secretly obsessed with your project. So, um, <laughs> so you've, you know, you're, you're imprinting on them. So it probably made the show more successful. Although, you know, a lot of people tell me they hate those Northampton shows. And really? it's the same people. Yeah. And the same people that don't like though it's turtle fans that I, I get it sometimes. And they tell me like, they hate horror and like, why is this in a turtle show? So I get it. Like everyone's different. So, but like, it wasn't my intention to do that forever. And we didn't, we, there's probably like six scary shows like that, you know, like, it's like a show about monsters. I mean, you want to kind of go there. Sure. Yeah. You got to do it again though, a little bit with, um, with the, uh, universal monsters episodes. Oh yeah. 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 That's, that's got some good frights in it. Oh yeah. Yeah. It's pasty. You like doing that too. Like, are you as big of a Frankenstein guy where like you got to kind of like dig into that lore a little bit? Oh yeah. That's the good stuff. I mean, all yeah. that old universal monster stuff is kind of incredible. Um, yeah, that was fun. I mean, that was really crazy. That that show is kind of beautiful. I just wish we could have made it as a movie. And if that was the case, I would have paced it a little slower. Like it actually, <laughs> like I've watched it. Um, it's great because it's like, I think it aired as four episodes. Five. Five, yeah. So if you can imagine watching those five strung together, which I have, it's yeah. like, it's a little exhausting. <laughs> <laughs> Like I, you know, but that's the, that's the, that's the rub, right. Of making five separate episodes that get strung together as a movie. They each have to work and be entertaining as a kid's half hour cartoon. Sure. And then you go like, so it's like, you know, you have three acts per episode that end in extreme action. So, so, well, you know, you got five of them. That's like 15 action set pieces. Jeez. Yeah. That's like way more than any movie that's like three times as much as any feature so <laughs> much but it was beautiful those are beautiful shows you think Chris, back to the original like the beginning of the show like how did you go about casting because i mean like i i mean i i think everybody was amazing but to me like the casting of rob paulson's donnie was like the most inspired choice ever to the point where i like i, I don't know like what what how did you figure out who the four turtles were going to be Oh, it was pretty complicated. I mean, like it wasn't so black and white. It wasn't like I had a checklist of what I thought they were and people came in and fulfilled that need. It was a little more open. I, I, uh, well, with the exception of Sipes, I think early on, I automatically cast Sipes as I was drawing the earliest drawings. I was like, Sipes is just going to be Michelangelo no matter what. And <clears throat> It wasn't that simple, you know, like they didn't really, um, I had to convince the network. It wasn't that hard, but the network was like, uh, you can't just say like, it's going to be Sipes. So I was like, okay. Um, but like after a few 
reads, they were like, yeah, this guy is totally Michelangelo. So that was awesome. So Sipes was the only one I ever legitimately locked down. He's like, he was the first one and he was like locked in no matter what. So he was kind of like the governor for the rest of the ones that come in. Hmm. Oh, that's interesting. So, um, that being said, I think I went through like three or four Raphael's. Um, I had a Raphael that worked really well, like twice before Sean. And then I couldn't find a Leo to save my life. So like, while I'm looking for Leo, cause I thought that Leo and Raph were really specific on how they played off of each other. Um, I don't really want to say who I had as Raph, but like the guys were like a little bit stronger okay. or they were a little bit, you know, not typical, but they, they were great voice actors. Um, they just were doing a very specific thing. And then when I, when I found my Leo, which was like so uniquely, like I couldn't have imagined that Jason Biggs character voice. Like, like I couldn't have imagined that like off the top of my head. Like, but when he came in and did it, we we're like, Oh my God, that's like a perfect Leonardo. We have to make that Leo. And then because of that, it kind of undid the rafts we had because the group didn't sound right together. So we went through a couple rafts. I think we went through a couple Leos for sure. Mikey stayed. And I think there was some discussion of, Hey, what do you think about using something from turtles past actor wise to be one of the turtles? And I was open to it. So I think all the turtles at some point came in and read for all the turtles. Oh, wow. If I'm not mistaken, like, or it was discussed or I had auditions sent in, but I know I had Robin in person. I remember that. And you know, Rob and I talked for a while and he started doing a thing that um, it felt to me like it was a little uh, early Woody Allen and it, it was kind of right. Like it was kind of <laughs> like this nervous energy that lent itself to comedy, um, like a self deprecating kind of thing, but not like a pushover. Like he could get upset. And, um, and it was also like different enough from what he had done. Like, you know, as Raph previously. Sure. And I really got along with, with, with Rob so well that like, I was like, let's just, can we just like lock this down? And I think I had it. It was like between Biggs, Aston. Yeah. Cause Sean Aston was last. So once I got Donnie, I had, so then all of a sudden I, it was like, I remember it was like, cause it took a year to cast. Wow. Like we couldn't find them. So it was like Mikey forever and Raph's. But the rafts ended up getting replaced because I found a Leo finally. And then I didn't have a raft. Then I found Donnie really quick. Um, cause it, it was like, cause, cause I was doing the heritage thing with the eighties show. And then all of a sudden, um, I remember when I worked at Disney that Sean Astin was doing a voice for, because it was not something we would assume, like, hey, because Sean Astin do this after Lord of the Rings, but Sean Astin had already done some voice acting at Disney while I was there or something else. So we thought we'd ask him, and he kind of nailed it out. Like, he like knocked it out of the park. And that was it. Like, once it, it kind of completely worked perfectly. Like, having Sean, Jason, Rob, Greg was just like unbelievable. Like, it was perfect. Like, because it was really about, 
Because we would, we had them all like we had them tenth cast, and we would have all four actors working together. And if it didn't sound right, we had to recast one of them. Sure. So like the four had to sound different enough. They had to have different textures. And I like that Raph ended up not being like you know he wasn't like everyone was coming in and doing like this hard ass with like a Brooklyn added like Brooklyn accent you know which is obvious and it's like sure. yeah he has a little bit of that in there but it, there's no accent and we thought that the softer Big Brother thing kind of worked better that 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 Sean was able to turn on so yeah. yeah casting was crazy for that show and then there was you know the big Jason Biggs kerfuffle so. Yeah. That kind of went on and on and on. But the Jason, you know, at that point, Sipes was good friends with Sean, with uh, with Seth, uh, Seth Green, who ended up being Leo, and introduced me to him. And we hung out a few times. And I think, you know, like Seth's one of those guys, like we're almost the same exact, I think we're like a few days apart. We're almost the same exact age. We came from the same town. And he, you know, I think I kind of got like, I think I really kind of like took a liking to him when we start talking about GI Joe and stuff. Like he's like a real, Oh yeah. He's, he's I, a real like legit, like nerd nerd and like, <laughs> yeah. you know, geeking out on like GI Joe Marvel comics issue, like number 21 with him. I was like, yeah, this dude gets it. And like, you know, he waxed on like Mirage a lot. Like he understood the Mirage angle and he geeked out on like the Leonardo one shot was like his shit. So I was like, well, oh, you're yeah, doing it. <laughs> it's gonna happen yeah and, you know and it, it was like the only way i think you know people had already liked the jason thing sucked i hated that that happened but like and it was there's reasons why it had to happen like it could not not happen it was out of yeah. my hands yeah. and the only thing that kind of i think for the fan base to save face i think sean i mean i think seth green helped placate that pain yeah you know absolutely. he brought a certain amount of cred that i think People went like, "What new Leo? Oh wait, that's not bad." Like you know, it was kind yeah, of honestly. I had that too, where I like, I mean, Biggs was excellent, and then I, I, Seth Green's really good as Leo, but it, I know his voice so well. It took me like a good four or five episodes where I was like, "Okay, this is Leo's voice now," and then, like, I got used to it, and he's he's fantastic. It's weird, right? And then we tried to shoehorn that whole neck injury thing in there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Which was cool. I mean, it's the old Mark Hamill Empire Strikes Back car accident trick. But sure. you know, uh, what are you going to do? It worked. I mean, it all worked. And, and, and like, and, and Seth was a fantastic Leo. He really was. I mean, like, what we'll get into this in a little bit, but like all the stuff that was done in Tales, the storytelling in that. I mean, there's so much good stuff there. So yeah, I know. Jeez, that's a crazy show. That's a crazy season. Tails killed me. Well, let me ask you, why did, uh, out of curiosity, why did it end up changing format uh, after four? Uh, well, we ended the storyline. I kind of felt yeah. like, you know, like, so it needed, I mean, some shows do that, but I mean, I felt like, you know, there was the story that we were trying to tell. I've been in a situation before where I've made shows I couldn't finish. Mm. So not understanding the climate, like and being able to foresee where things were headed. Like I wanted to make sure that I had closure on that saga. Yeah. So we ended it like we ended the real business at four, knowing that there was all these other stories we wanted to tell and we could just tell them out of sequence and it didn't really matter. Yeah. And it wasn't about them not being canon. Like everything's canon. It's just 
we got to just kind of jump around and do it as we wished. Um, and if we got like another 10 seasons, Hey, that's great. We could have changed the format again, but we didn't know what was doing. Um, the toy sales had peaked, you know, uh, obviously like it wasn't no fault of the show. I mean, you can imagine like you got like 124 episodes, the toy show toy sales probably peaked more in the middle. So, you know, the writing's on the wall at a certain point where it's like, how long are we going to keep doing this? Because it was technically driven by toys, that show, not sure. ad retail space. So, you know, we had to make sure we got our story out. And I was like really worried about that. So, you know, and we, you know, to the testament to the show, like it went well enough that we were able to do like another 20 stories. So, or episodes. So it wasn't bad. Um, would have done some more if I could have, but I don't know. You know, working backwards from the Splinter's death thing, I, I one thing I wanted to talk about was was your Splinter, which I think is the most like dynamic, interesting Splinter. Like, I you know I going I, I just before we spoke, I rewatched the uh, the yokai story. Mm. You see Splinter as this sort of arrogant character, and then like in the Lone Rat and Cubs, where he's sort of this embittered rat creature your, your splinter is so dynamic that i just wanted to talk about him a bit because it's just fantastic i think i owe a lot of that to hoon like you know like absolutely yeah he's like the most one of the most incredible guys that i got to meet like it's one of the best relationships i made on that show professionally for sure and he's a great guy like just like he perpetually blew my mind on that series um he brought such a gravitas to it that i had only dreamed of you know you know i i i it bothered me how, I mean, in the beginning, you know, the whole thought process be behind the change on Splinter was, it was all means to an end. I did it simply. It was all scaled back to April. So you're going like, visually, you're going like, how tall do these turtles need to be for me to be able to have them move around the city and for me not to have to make two sets of everything? Like, hmm. Sometimes we did. Sometimes I had to make a chopstick set that April could hold. And then we did all different chopsticks that the turtles could hold. Oh, interesting. Okay. Because it's a scale thing and it becomes a technical thing. It's not about a drawing. It's about these things exist as models in space. So, you know, things like doorknobs, everything <laughs> becomes a fucking problem. Sure. So everything went back to the governor for all of that was April. And like, is April going to be able to kiss donatella or whoever it's going to be like like we don't want the turtles to be midgety or like dwarfish i don't know what the word is but like tiny sure and we don't want them to feel like grown-ups so the only thing to do was to make splinter huge because like we i had a cement for that first and it was the way we shot it too but like we had a cement in that first season let that 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 splinter was their fodder figure Mm. And that that was the first decision that really informed his visual look. Um, and then I think between that alone and like we would do extensive research into like actual Japanese textiles and like things from the Edo period. And we, we were pretty thorough about Japanese history um, and the arts, you know, in a lot of different ways. I had a lot of help too. Um, but also like, you know, Hoon's voice then on top of that was just like incredible. Like, and, that, oh, yeah. and I think it lent itself to a certain kind of character, 
you know, who was like, and the writers in the beginning were great too. They were like really adept at doing this kind of like snarky, almost like half sadistic father figure. You know, Jennifer and Josh, who were the, the, my co-EPs in the beginning, they were like the writing team. They, they had done shows, they, they had launched and I think gotten um, the 70s show off the ground. So I really liked their brand of humor and they really understood like parenting humor um and that kind of sitcom format and it really kind of shined i thought in that first season oh yeah he feels like I, I think i read it in one of your notes or something in the art book maybe i forget um but the you're going for more obi-wan less yoda is that is that right or yeah i mean that makes sense i mean like it's a it's a guy i think i think we're thinking about like you know this is a guy who's like 50 not 65 sure yeah you know like he's still formidable like oh yeah these are young boys and like, and he's, you know, he's an older guy, but like, he's not down and out. Like we're, you know, when I was a kid, I, I think when I was watching the Fred Wolf cartoon, it always kind of bugged me. Like, I always felt like I had a, like, a, like, like I, I would lose my patience with like splinter walking across the room and kind of dragging his lines. <laughs> like, Why is it so sleepy? You know, like get on with it, man. Like slow doesn't equal wisdom. I didn't feel like necessarily. Um, so, you know, yeah, I, I, that was a, and plus, you know, it was, it was a, it was a chip for me not to change other things in the show. I, it was cool to go into Nick and they would say, all right, well, what's your take on the show? And I would go, April's like this and splinters like this. And they would say, well, what about the turtles? And I would say, well, what about them? You know, like I would be like, you know, Raph's a rude dude and Donnie does machines and Mikey's yeah. a party animal. Like I'm not changing that. And it was like, there was battles about that stuff, but it was like, look, I'll change April into anything we have to, to not mess up the story and to not mess up the turtles. Sure. Yeah. And I, and then like, you know, and then I'll adjust splinter, you know, but like, we're not like, like this is a new show but like this isn't necessarily like a reboot like i didn't want to like reinvent turtles i wanted yeah. to make a love letter and then try to encompass the best of what it could have been or had been yeah, and it i mean it does that because those four characters are very much like there's a certain accents that are cool like donnie's a lot more frustrated in the show and mm -hmm. it's more like there's this philosopher thing to him that i like i I, I've been a Donnie guy since the beginnings, uh, but I genuinely feel like had I grown up with your show, I might be a Mikey guy because his episodes are my favorite. I love Pizza Face, which I think he's an episode for some people didn't like, but I love that episode. Yeah, they hate that. <laughs> I love. Oh man. <laughs> yeah, I think I was a Donnie guy growing up from the comics. Um, okay. And then, uh, but when it all came down to roost, like I kind of became a raft guy just because he kept the red bandana. <laughs> sure. Yeah. If that makes any sense. Cause yeah, I was like, yeah, that's a the, weird like, rock guy. Yeah. Um, but then it got hard because like my best friend was Sipes and he was Mikey. And it's like, well, I kind of had to say Mikey's my favorite, but then like, <laughs> I, honestly, I think if I had grown up with my show and some weird alternate reality, I probably would have been a raft guy. Oh Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I just, I, 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 I just thought there's like such a warmth and like, I don't know. And he's such a bad. Like, I love how angry he can get and like the way he can justify it. It was kind of fun. 
he was always there. I mean, he's such a, he was such a rock for everybody, but you know, I say that, but I mean, I also love Leo when I was a kid, I was obsessed with the Leo one shot leading into, um, Oh, it's great. Yeah. You can. I mean, that blew yeah. my mind. That's like my favorite, like still, like I have a huge comic collection. I have like Marvel keys and DC keys and I have like a substantial Marvel collection. And like my favorite comics are probably Turtles 10 and the Leo one shot. I've heard that a lot of times. Like I interviewed a guy, an act, an, auto, an artist named Freddie Williams. He cited that at least one or uh, two people have spoken to like that comic. And I can see, like I, I can see why certainly because I, you know, whatever age I kept caught on to the comics, but like it, that's one that just stands out for people as being the spectacular story. Where, I mean, he barely talks and the whole thing. It's amazing. Yeah, and it's and it's a it's a it's a lot of credit to Kevin. Um, yeah for just having a certain amount of like, he was kind of in a way ahead of his time with like his ability to lay out a page. I mean, those books are very cinematic. Mm -hmm. um, and I know you could argue that Miller was already doing it, but like who else? Like, and like, I wouldn't look at those comics and be like, ah, oh, this is just like dark Knight. Not, not at all. I mean, it was like, to me, Kevin was like, he was like a movie director and I, and I wasn't used to it. You know, I was like reading, like you're reading books like secret wars or whatever, like, you know, John Byrne, fantastic fours. Like you're just kind of like, you're reading the words and looking at the pictures, but there, there's no, there's no cadence or pacing that's coming from how the page was drawn back then. You're just slugging through it the same way you would slug through like a Kirby page where it's just sure. nine, pa you know, nine panels, no matter what, like flip. Yeah. And you would just do it like it was homework. And you'd be like, okay, I'm absorbing this. This is cool. What does he say? <laughs> like, like, nine, like Leo and 10 were like, like there was times where you were reading faster or slower depending on how it was laid out. And I thought that that was like, you know, that's like Kevin's brilliance. I know Peter had a part in it, but I, so part mm. of me thinks that like, I think Kevin was really doing like the page rough layout, the layout roughs. He still does that for the IDW. Yeah. I feel like that's probably yeah. in his wheelhouse for sure. Yeah. That's his thing. Yeah. Yeah. You know, back to Splinter a little bit. I want to talk about the Karai Miwa story. Was that planned from the beginning? Was that because that's such an interesting part of the show? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think that was definitely, and I, a, a lot of that I think too came from um, looking for something to give Leo. Because mm. Leo historically is one of these characters that, and every team has one, like even like a Cyclops yeah. in, in the X-Men, where like the guy who's in charge of the team, the quarterback is kind of like boring because he's just like a little too perfect. Yeah. So like you got Leo who's like, he's disciplined and he's straight laced and he's a Boy Scout and he's like the most fit and he doesn't have bad habits. And it's like, well, what's his Achilles heel, you know? So like Karai was kind of a cool thing and to kind of walk down that taboo path of like, of like you're the daughter of my enemy no you're my sister wait what like what's mm. happening like was just like you could play that any way you wanted for so long and like we could we could like it wasn't just like leo finds out karai is the daughter of splinter then splinter finds out karai is his daughter and then shredder has to deal with it there were so many layers to peel off of that one concept that like you know Cause we had a, we had to walk into rooms and pitch this constantly. We had to pitch it to and Nickelodeon. Like we had a flight in the, we, it was one thing to appease the show execs here in, in Los Angeles, 
we had to then fly to New York and we had to pitch it to the marketing team. Then we had to pitch it separately to the toy division, consumer products. Then we had to pitch it to like all the execs and the president. So like you really needed something that you could just say like one little thing and they could see like, Oh, that has legs, you know, like, and it was a good thing like that. And I'm not saying that like that character wouldn't have existed if not for Leo, but like it really, I think she tied into like what the show's bigger arcs and storyline and, and themes were, you know, she was, we were, we were able, and like in a weird way, you're using her as a, as a, as a way to, um, you know, mine more for splinter, you know, like she's the key to the past. Oh yeah. Like if it wasn't for, if it wasn't for Miwa, we would have just, we would have just like, you know, not found out or dealt with some of the darker stuff that Splinter did. Like he wasn't the, the, the greatest guy, you know, he, he, you know, it wasn't so black and white. Oroku Saki wasn't all bad. Oh yeah. I love that about them. You know, that yokai episode, like I said, I just watched this before we spoke, like that it shows so many different, like Shredder seems decent. Splinter is like an arrogant jerk. Like there's so many interesting things going on in that one. I'm curious how, how far in advance was that one? kind of planned out the idea that like the turtles saved splinter how, how far in advance do you remember that one being put in not too far okay. not too far because like i think <clears throat> that show moved really fast first of all like at some point and it wasn't like a regular show for me like a lot of times i just get a salary that's paid by the week and on that show it was so fast and loose that i was getting paid per episode so at some point i was making shows like it was like getting war pay. Like I was doing pre-production for season three while I was in production for season two, while I was doing post-production for season one. Wow. So I remember like at any given time, like as far as my duties were concerned or actually not my duty, it was my duties. Cause I would oversee all of it, but the whole staff at one point was dealing with up to 31 different episodes. Wow. Mind blowing. So, like, you know, if you're talking about me going to the very last stage of a show, which is me doing, like, the sound mix and the color correction, all the way to the opposite end of the spectrum, which would be, like, me sitting down with Brandon and us breaking a story, that's, like, there's 31 episodes in between and including those two bookends. Good Lord. So, like, to go, like, hey, how far in advance – you know, oh, I don't know, like at least 62 weeks we knew because <laughs> we were we were doing it at that pace. And every two weeks we would release an episode. No breaks. So we made okay. 124 episodes. We delivered without an excuse and no bumps. We delivered a show every two weeks for 124 episodes. Good with Lord. No, wow. With That's no amazing. vacations. Good God. That's amazing. And that, fucking hurt <laughs> like, that was hard and i remember like the execs were like because <clears throat> it was like we were printing money so like the toy yeah. people like we couldn't stop they were afraid that toys would stop selling so it was like feed the beast print money and um you know not to sound like 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 a cheap capitalist like that that wasn't my incentive in making the shows but that was the situation i was in and i had to facilitate that was my job to facilitate and um, I didn't mind, you know, the work was good and I was getting paid. It was just exhaustive. And like, at, I remember at the end of every season, like after like season three, I think the execs would be like, all right, we're going to do another season. Do you want to keep going or do you want to quit? 
like like do i want to step down because like basically like i i was looking tired and i'd be like no i'll do it let's do it let's do season four and let's do season five like it was like i remember like constantly um yeah it wasn't easy and I, i've never been in a situation that was that probably that I've, I've had intense work scenarios but that one was the most prolonged intense one and it was technically difficult and there was lots of travel so yeah i i mean how far ahead i would say 62 weeks at the least but like i loved yokai monsters and i love the you know anytime we could bring real japanese culture sure yeah and you know, early on, there was this idea of ninja magic. Like, I even did drawings of it in my early sketches. The idea that, like, turtles would utilize, um, not that it was real magic, but, like, ninja tricks to spook people. Like, that was all, like, you know, harnessing some of the ideas that were in yokai culture, uh, some of the yokai stories and legends. Like, so, like, it was only a matter of time before we did a yokai story. I think it lining up and being almost like a Turtles in Time episode. Yeah. Uh, in feudal Japan, like that's just like kismet, and like I don't remember exactly how that story came about, but it, it you know like most of them, it was probably Brandon and I at lunch. Like Brandon and I had lunch every day, so that we could get out of the office and we would just take long lunches and we would basically talk story through the entire lunch. Hmm. I mean that's how that worked, and then he went off and worked with writers and. I didn't really have to meet with them too much outside of that because like we had a, you know, we had a relationship that was basically automatic. It wasn't like some annoying, like, Oh, now you got to schedule time and sit down with the writers. It was like, he would go off and then work with his writers after I would meet with him like naturally. So okay. yeah, it was, it was, that was a wild production, man. You know, going back to the the death of Splinter, I mean, was that something that you planned for a while that you knew he eventually he would be, yeah, some way yeah. at the end of the series? Yeah, for sure. Because yeah. I thought like it was, you know, there was a lesson to be learned there. I didn't like the idea that I didn't want some willy nilly concept that like the turtles could run around stabbing each stabbing things and killing everything, and that they lived this life of like basically murder and revenge and that there wasn't consequence to it so sure. it, it sucks that splinter dies but i think there's like real consequence to that like i didn't want kids to go out and think that they could pull that stuff off and not have to pay some sort of price and i think hmm. splinter at that point in his life was prepared for that so in a way it's okay um you know it's hard though it's hard to watch uh, pushback on that like was nick like not cool with it or was that like that was all cool because it was like i don't know how adult you were allowed to get right well you know that's the whole game right there's and then we would kind of do good cop bad cop so you kind of wear the network down a little bit but again in their own best interest like you're never trying to subvert anybody so i think at the end of the day they trusted us and they really like you know some of that writing was so powerful that like they were excited about it but you know, they're always going to be concerned about like, don't make it play this way. It can't look like this. Like it's about gratuity. Um, not so much about the, the idea, like you can get away with almost any idea. It's, it's about the tone and the execution. Um, but that one was just like, you know, that one was like full tilt. Like, yeah, it wasn't super graphic, but it was clear and it was super emotional. 
Oh yeah. And like the score, like kind of helped that too. Like the, it was all full tilt. Everything was full blast, like emotional and that. Um, but you know, I had always wanted Splinter to die. So <laughs> well, he was actually dead at the beginning of my pitch. So, Oh wow. Yeah. Well, I needed a catalyst. So sure. like, I wanted a different kind of turtle story and my take on it was kind of like, well, you got these kids and then they grew up in the sewer. Why the hell would they come out if they don't know anything better? They yeah. don't know about the above world. So I thought, well, here's this great opportunity. Like their dad, their, their, their father or surrogate master passes away and, you know, they have no choice but to kind of leave home. And that's when the hero journey begins, right? It's sure. the whole Joseph Campbell thing. Here's this loss. I'm leaving home. There's this emotional void. And now they meet April right on the heels of that. And she kind of fulfills that need for them. So like, it was kind of a perfect story. And I thought that Splinter would exist throughout. Like you wouldn't be sad because the show would start with him like dead. Like whether you see it or not, it doesn't matter. You don't really have a connection to him, Right. but you would learn about his greatness and the connection and you would make a connection with him through the show as he's giving lessons to Leo, like in flashbacks sure. and Leo's taking those and teaching his three brothers. So I thought it also gave Leo, it made kind of Leo splinter, which gave mm. him something better. Sure. But when I pitched it. I thought like the network almost like they thought I was like batshit crazy. Cause I think <laughs> them, and to give them credit, like at the time, they didn't really know anything about Ninja Turtles. Like they just didn't, you know, um, because, and like, and the, and the audience didn't either. Like it was a time when Turtles was kind of dead. I mean, the previous thing had been the 2007 feature that yeah. CG one. So like it had gone like under, I remember going to Toys R Us's and places like that. And you couldn't find a turtle toy in sight. Like, there was maybe like a reissue of the party wagon, but okay. that was it. There was nothing in sight. Yeah. And the, I think I came in with such amount of fan cachet in a way that they just went like, we trust him. Sure. And we don't really know this. Like we're here to make sure the tone's right. And to them, the tone was we got to make money and they got to smile on lunchboxes. <laughs> That's like, that's all they know. And I get sure. it. That's their job. And that's right. So I, I had to kind of, you know, like I had to make concessions. And that's the first thing that I want is like, you can't kill the giant nasty rat. And I was like, all right, that's cool. Whatever. And then like, there was all kinds of like, in the beginning, there were, there were some battles. It was, it was a little weird at some points, but you know, I think it, it all ends up working. Like it all ends up working itself out. Like, you know. The thing I hated the worst, I think, that happened in the first season was that Dr. Falco became the Rat King. That should have never happened. The Rat King should have been a... And I like Dr. Falco, but like the Rat King should have been a character that always existed underground. Like He's almost timeless that way, and he was planning okay. to come out. You know? And I, I didn't think the timeline worked, that like now Falco like retreated to the sewers and like it's six months later, he reemerges as the rat King. It didn't feel like it made sense mm. like enough, like the timeline just kind of fell apart for me. And 
but you know, here's the thing. That's just the way the execs worked. And that's the way the toy people worked. Their theory was the smaller the world, the better it is. If you have a character that does this and he comes back as that, that's more ways to think about the toy and it makes the universe smaller and more cohesive. And I thought it, I kind of believe the opposite. I kind of wanted to see, I wanted Rat King to be a different breath of the world. He's not a ninja. He's not, he doesn't have anything to do with mutagen. Like he's this other thing that we never even comprehended that now we got to deal with. Sure. Just, I thought it was another shade of Ninja Turtles, not, not like a retread of a part of it that we already had, you know? So stuff like that would happen. And like, you just have to like swallow it and deal with it. It's annoying. Like, you know, but every show kind of has been like that, that stuff happens, you know? And that's when you have to realize too, like you're doing a job and it doesn't belong to you. Like this was like, I was the custodian of it, but like, I didn't create Ninja Turtles. So you have to kind of be like respectful too. So it's difficult. You know, uh, although, although we were right. But <laughs> <laughs> so that game's still awesome. He is awesome. Another thing I want to ask you about the Splinter's death is kind of like, like what goes into those big, like those huge, you know, once a season fight sequences. Like, how did you guys board those? Because if there's like 65 characters in a scene, like, how did you guys do that? Dude, I, I didn't board those shows. I had an awesome <laughs> That's when I officially went, I'm not a board artist anymore. Cause I started like in this town as a board guy and like, I don't, I don't want to be a board guy anymore. Like everyone's, they've taken it to like a crazy level. And part of it's the technology. Um, you know, like I said, like I, I've boarded stuff a lot, but it's been on paper and it's a whole different breath and pacing when you do it that way. Um, it's definitely less drawings. Um, just to put in some sort of perspective, like one act, a show has three acts and each act would have at least 2000 drawings. And, you know, and that was done within a period. And we had a healthy schedule and healthy is six weeks. Like, you know, which is not that much when you think about it. Um, So those guys don't sleep. Those guys and gals like they're they're, they're, I mean, how is it done? They're just incredible talents. There was a, a handful of people on those shows that were fine. There were, no one was on that show that was not good. And then there were a handful of people that were just exceptional beyond comprehension. <laughs> and, and they were, and they were coachable, which was great. Like a lot of the people on that show were so green, but hungry that they were coachable. And I was able to kind of push their buttons and get them really excited. Um, and, and they were just, you know, they did not disappoint. So I think the death of Shredder was Sheldon uh, drew that Sheldon Bella, who's incredible. I mean, there's there's a bunch of stuff that Sheldon did that was just unbelievable. He did the finale, I think, for Pizza Face too. Um, but yeah, he might have done the third act finale for Yokai as well. Oh wow! So yeah, three teams basically, each run by a director, and um, then there was a supervising director. So like, okay. I oversee the I, I oversee the story team. Uh, right under me is a supervising director. Underneath the supervising director is three directors, and each director had three board artists. Good lord! And then there was like maybe like two revision guys who were on their own schedule fixing the last episode because 
a lot of what was going on in turtles was we had the luxury of having a good schedule and having those spare guys and gals as revisionists, um, which you don't normally get like in TV production. That was kind of like a, a luxury back then at least. So, um, Sometimes we would watch an animatic or a storyboard done and we would like throw half of it out and completely redo it. So we, a lot of why the storytelling is so good in turtles is because we did it two or three times. Oh, wow. And then I would like sit in editing and like a lot of times the shows would come in and they'd be like six minutes too long. Oh God, that's a lot to cut. Jesus. So we would chop it out and I would re move things around and shuffle it and take out a bunch of dialogue or take out whole sequences and shuffle it. And we do patch up writing, like to fix the holes. Like I'm amazed you had time for space heroes and, and Bradford and all that stuff. Well, that stuff was easy. That's just like, I just say like when you, with having to cut stuff, I would have imagined that would have to go. Like the, those uh, are fun things. I love the Bradford cartoon is my favorite. Yeah. So good. And I mean, that stuff was great because like the, the theory with that stuff was that it was bad animation. So we were, we were hedging our bet that it would go wrong. And that would only make it work better. So, <laughs> and that kind of helped a lot. Like I, there was no stress on those things. Like sure. we had a separate, we had a separate team in Canada animating that stuff in 2d and uh, except for the super robot sequence, which was done in Japan. Um, but the other four seasons of the Krognard and uh, Bradford and uh, gee, space heroes. What was the other one? Space Krognard heroes, next generation. Space Heroes Next Generation. Those are all done in Canada. Oh, yeah. wow. <laughs> Space Heroes Next Generation, though, I was kind of bummed out because my theory was that it was going to be – we just couldn't afford it. And what I wanted it to be was CG because I wanted it to be uh, a live-action show that they were watching. Okay. Like so the theory being that there was an original Space Heroes like Star Trek like like TOS and then that there would have been an animated series on the heels of that like in the 70s which was what we saw right in season 1 but that later there would be TNG which would have been live action which would have been real which would have been it had to be CG like the turtles <laughs> but I couldn't afford it and then I remember the line producer was like what if we do it with puppets like uh like Thunderbirds are go and oh I was like, God. what? That now it's like a, a complete abstraction. I don't even understand what we're talking about. And like, right. gonna be, I don't want to build puppets. I don't have time. Like it was like, we were going to do it real cheap. And I was like, no, that's kind of sounds impossible. So I just made Glenn do it. Glenn Murakami designed all those space uh, heroes, the next generation characters. And they're amazing. Great <laughs> desire to see the space heroes mapped out in some way, some greater yeah. Oh, is there? I wish. I mean, I think that's canceled <laughs> by a, a Nickelodeon Star Trek show, but yeah. Sure, yeah. Right. Space Heroes as a show. <clears throat> they were asking me for spinoff shows, and at one point, like, they just kind of weren't down because you would go, like, one show I had was, um, well, just because what you asked was, I, I thought it would be cool to do, what did I call it? It was... I think it was like Michelangelo's Cowabunga Cartoon Cavalcade. Oh, wow. Okay. What it was was a half-hour television show, which is like a commercial. Like it's a 22-minute cartoon episode with three breaks, so you could do three acts. Sure. But it would have been like these 80s mega show blocks where 
at any given point, you had three different shows playing. Oh, wow. Okay. You would tune in and it would be like seven minutes of Krognard, seven minutes of Space Heroes and Bradford or whatever, even new stuff. But every once in a while, because we had it already, you would cut back to the Turtles living room and the Turtles in CG would be reacting. Oh, okay. Like as bumpers, not like Sarah, like Beavis and Butthead. Um, and that was just a way for me to like kind of grow out of that franchise, but to keep it going and, and to also not step on the idea that like there could be a Turtles reboot. Yeah. But still not make the fans like completely miss miking everybody. Yeah. Like we could have you literally just done Turtle Donnie Raph and I mean uh, Mikey Donnie Raph and Leo like being funny brothers watching television and like oh yeah been very healing I thought as an experience for Turtle fans that liked the 2012 show and, and the network thought I was fucking crazy and then <laughs> <laughs> but I pitched it like 18 times uh, and then uh, it would have been the easiest show to make I swear like it was already like it's just would have been fun and easy, which I needed. Um, I had a show that was basically, um, Oh, it was Casey teaming up with, um, with Jack Kurtzman. Oh, driving, like, basically driving across America, like in a Winnebago looking for monsters, like being like not cryptozoologists, but more like, you know, like some kind of art, bell coast to coast crime duo because i was like really into kolchak and that's really who kurtzman is is kind of kolchak yeah and i just like the idea of being able to have robert forster come in every week and beat kolchak with casey jones i was like dude that's like the best show ever and you know they didn't get it i I they were going for obvious stuff like a team of girl ninjas led by april and i didn't really think that that was like that's so kind of basic, you know, yeah. it's kind of a discredit to April too. I feel like there's more to her than that. Like I just, I didn't want to do like a team show that was just like novel because of the gender. Like, I didn't think that that was enough. Like I wanted to be weird. And, but then, you know, they kind of went with just like uh rise, you know, which mm-hmm. was like a total reboot. So it didn't even matter. Right. You know, one last thing I wanted to ask you about, sorry to keep you so long. I, I wanted to ask you about uh, the wasteland episodes now, I, I know some people like to see that as a what if, but that is the finale, right? That's the finale of the show. Oh, yeah, that's the finale. Yeah, I, I've known this from the beginning. I don't, I don't know. You know, the, that that rumor came from a couple. It, it It's not even a rumor. It was misconstrued, like, sound bites from, I think, Brandon and this other guy, Felipe, who, my good buddy, Felipe, who designed, who ended up doing the model for that big future raft. And what happened was I think Felipe posted an image of what he was working on and said, like, this is like an alternate version of like Raph. And, and Felipe, well, didn't try to stoke like what if rumors. I think people just, they hear what they want to hear. Sure. Yeah. And they just want like, no, it's not real. It's so like, and I think the, I mean, you know, whatever, but I think the, the fact that it was aired not at the end too, probably to some degree makes people wire it differently even yeah. it doesn't matter now and that was the network too being sure. like kind of cold feet like they i think they wanted like they wanted a tv stunt where the ending was all about like i said before like smiling lunchboxes so 
if I could do a story where it was like all about pizza and hanging out with the 80s turtles, that's the ending. That's that's where they're going to put all their advertising. They don't want to put their advertising money into like some depressing uh, movie about like the apocalypse. And right. like, even though it was like the most glorious, badass thing ever done, like, I love that story. Oh, um, it's great. You know, I'm kind of bummed. While I was working on that, secretly I had made my own cut of it. And it was also widescreen. It was like, oh. it was like, and it was anamorphic. It was like, you know, the aspect ratio was two, three, five. It was in scope. And, um, and it has alternate scenes and it has like cursing in it. Oh, and, wow. uh, and I cut it together and for a party that we had, like when we wrapped the series, we had a screening and all the actors came out. Like everybody that we can remember that was affiliated with the show. And we watched that last movie as like seamless as like, and I re-edited it so that it's like, there's no commercial breaks. Like, so it had to be changed a bit. And, and I even put like, there's a lot of um, homages to like apocalyptic movies in it. So I even cut like, I cut like a fake movie theater, like intro at the front and different, you know, I hang out the oh, new a lot, which is Tarantino's theater. So like we did all these like fake grindhouse trailers and stuff for the front and, and we watched in this theater and it was like mind blowing. And somehow mysteriously all copies of that file disappeared. Oh my God. Even yours? Like yeah, you I don't have it. Like I might, Oh have my God. A, I might have like a, like a messed up working version of it. Oh. That's like half done, but yeah, like I'm pissed. Like, it took forever <laughs> and like I wouldn't know it's not like I would have leaked it it's just like I, I just don't know why I maybe it was just bad housekeeping it just disappeared like my editor lost it and it's like kind oh, of man. but I, it, and, I, and that was called oh after the bomb that movie was called after the bomb which was a, a throwback to which was what we always wanted to make Brendan and I which was like a throwback to the palladium game books but there was an issue where like part of the, the, the basically the Nickelodeon deal that they made to buy turtles, those palladium books by Eric weren't really a part of that purchase deal. So okay. they were like, they didn't want us to allude to anything in the books at all, which is why terror bears or dream beavers, all that kind of stuff happens. Um, but yeah, like, it, so it was called like, you know, whatever, Mutant Wasteland, I think it was called. But like, but our working title in-house was always After the Bomb. Mm. That was the title for, like, I think I have the title card somewhere. It says After I the have Bomb. one of those Palladium books. It might be that one. I'm not sure. But yeah. Yes. I, I, what I love about that story is like, it's super bold. It's unexpected. But like, at its heart, it's just about the four turtles finding each other again, which is the beauty yeah. of it. And that's what I love about that episode. Like, it's just so. Yeah, cool. and I think people like don't see that in it, which is, like kind of confuses me. It's like, it's kind of like what you wanted Force Awakens to actually feel like, and it didn't happen. Like, you know, yeah. like it was like they all get to be on screen together, like, and they're old, and there's like a there's some comfort in that. Yeah, they. But everybody got like. Yeah. I remember I got in big trouble because it was like, "Are you telling me April's dead?" Yes. I'm like. Well, I mean, she might have died of old age anyway if we didn't kill her because of a bomb. Yeah. And they were, I got in big trouble for Casey's skull. I was, I was wondering about that one. Dude. That, that must have like, been. You know, I got labeled for being morbid and sick. And I, and I tried to explain to them. It's like, 
you guys are really not understanding like these characters, like in fear of whatever could happen to you, like whatever angry call you might get from a mom that pales in comparison to doing this character a disservice. Like Casey Jones is pure metal. Like he would love knowing he went out this way, like that his head was the trigger for a bomb that like took everything out. I mean, that's the most heavy metal shit. Yeah, he would have dug that for sure, Casey. I couldn't even hear Gungala like in the explosion. Like, oh, can you? Thing. Yeah, and then I think, I think one of the things that was in my alternate cut was Raphael like says something like "Smile for me, you son of a bitch," like Roy Scheider and Jaws. Like he actually curses. Oh, that's awesome! <laughs> Just like, <it's> most, <laughs> like when you're watching it, you're like, "What am I watching? This is the greatest!" I remember I was sitting next to I was like. I think I was sitting next to Rob Paulson and Sean Astin, and they were both the whole time. This is the most incredible thing I've ever seen. I can't fucking believe this. Are you kidding me? They were like freaking out. They're like, "This is the best movie I was ever in." I was like, "You're in Lord of the Rings. <laughs> like, what are you talking about? You're you're in Goonies. Like, they're tripping." And I was like, "Suit." That was like, I think that was like a that was a really like kind of like special moment for me. Like it was bittersweet cause it was the end, but like, man, I felt good doing that. Like having those guys go out in that blaze of glory was awesome. Um, and it ends like, you know, it ends in a real place, like which actually cements it like in reality with our earth. Like that's actually uh, the quarries that are in Bloomington, Indiana. Cause I'm a huge, like my favorite movie is breaking away, which is like a bicycle movie. And it was actually the, you know, I never really talk about this. I don't think I talked about it. I don't know if I talked about it in the book, but the when I first one of the references, like you could talk about the Goonies and you could talk about Stand By Me all day, just with like a bunch of boys bonding as like the foundation for like their camaraderie and how I would pitch, you know, these brothers and their story for the turtles. But it really was about these cutters, these characters that were in this movie from like I think it's 1979. It's uh, it's called Breaking Away, and it was like these kids that are like that kind of grew up together, and this, the camaraderie that they have was always something that like when I would see that that movie on television as a kid, that I was always kind of jealous of being like because I had a, I had an older sister that was like you know it's a Duran Duran and Boy George, and I just couldn't relate, you know. And I would watch you know so to me like Ninja Turtles, like I was looking for that thing, and it was Breaking Away, so where they hang out in that movie is a quarry and where that story ends and what could potentially become their future headquarters. Oh, wow. Is that giant quarry lake that you see at the finale of the show. So like I had this whole premise for like what, a what the extension would that of that would be. And like, would they have a, t- uh, you know, would they reband and would they have a new subterranean lair and, you know, used to all of that. Like, I would do stories past that wasteland. You made reference to your art book, which I, I wanted to talk about that a little bit. I mean, I I love that book. It could have been 800 pages, and I would have just loved it more. Like, I, I could have had so much. Like, it's such a great collection. So I don't know if you want to talk about putting that together, but, like, it was such a great, great book. Yeah, I, I agree. Like, I think I wish it could have been five volumes. Like, if I had my way, I would have done one book for each season. Oh yeah, that'd be great. And you can kind of tell. And um, the, my one gripe about the book, and it's not a regret because there was nothing I could do about it, was I wish there was enough space on the page where I could have written everybody's single name on every single thing that everybody drew. But like, mm. 
but I had to forego that with like, cause they were giving me examples of art books and they weren't inspiring because it would just be like one page and the whole page would just be like one pencil sketch of one idea. And, and I was like, dude, this is 124 episodes that spans so many ideas. Like, yeah. so we started talking about like, cause there was this whole vibe in the beginning of turtles that it was really punk rock. Like just the way the, the way the first issue was made in a punk rock way. Like it's almost like a garage band. Like Kevin and Peter made that book almost against the odds that like, I wanted the show to feel that way. And then that book kind of felt like I just wanted to feel like a million things slapped together. Like it was just like aggro that way. And, and I really wanted it to be like a cool book for kids to look at that were interested in animation and to just kind of like, be flooded with so much imagery, you know, that it was like, you had to go through it a hundred times. Cause like, you're just, it, it, there's so much to digest. Oh yeah. It's jam packed. It's great. Yeah. But it's, it's a cool book. Like, you know, I made that book basically for free. It was so painful. <laughs> <laughs> That's how book deals work. It wasn't like, I wasn't getting paid. They were like, we're going to make this book no matter what. Um, so we're just going to do it like, cause we have like, you know, I think in New York, Viacom has like their, their book division. Okay. They're like, okay, so we're going to crank out an Art of Ninja Turtles book. We're going to ask you, do you want to be involved? And I said, you know, hell yeah, I'll be involved. And they're like, okay, well it only pays $2,500 ever. And it's like going to take like two years to make it. Like, it's so much work that book. Good Lord. It was, I literally worked full-time hours for nine months. And I thought like, well, you know, like I could use a break is like in between jobs, I'll do this book, but I won't get paid. And, but like, I'll have a book and it's a nice calling card. And like, I, it's dude, I, I don't regret it. Like it forever lives on my shelf as like a love letter to what I spent a decade making. So it's fine. But like, there's a crazy amount of work and it's insane how like, it's insane how book deals work. Like they don't work in favor of the author. I'll say sure. that. If that book was a hit, my next book might have been okay. Okay. You know, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I don't think so. Like, I think they just, this is what they say. Because it wasn't, again, like the money goes to Viacom because they own Turtles. It's not like I make any money, anything off of that. So, but I love that book. Um, I wish it could have been longer. I think I lobbied to get like an extra 11 pages. Like, Oh, wow. Yeah. Beyond what it's supposed to have. So. Oh, well. Share any what might have been season six stories? If not, that's fine. Um, not, well, there were some. We got 20 episodes at the end of season for five, and it should have been 26. So we had more episodes there. Oh, okay. Um, I, think, I think the neutralizer story would have been larger, was part of it. It, it got condensed, I think, into two episodes. And. I thought there could have been a lot more in there, more than just the Mona Lisa thing. Mm. And then the, um, but there was definitely a four-parter we wanted to do that was about Casey Jones. Oh, wow. About Casey Jones' dad and what happened to him and about Casey Jones. And like the, the fulcrum in the story was like finding Casey Jones' lost sister and then discovering his dad. And the dream would have been that, um, you know, we wanted to cast Kurt Russell as Casey Jones's dad. Oh, that would have been nice. Which, cool. which was full circle because, you know, when you talk to Kevin about who Casey Jones is, there's a lot of stories. But basically, 
Casey Jones is Jack Burton. So, and Jack Burton, according to to Kurt Russell, was John Wayne acting like Elvis. So, like, it's like you know, Casey Jones. Those are all the references, like, when I was talking to Josh for, like, you know, well, you're basically Jack Byrne. He's like, who? Well, he's basically Elvis acting like Jack John Wayne, like, kind of. Like, what? <laughs> Porkchop Express. Um, yeah, so I thought it would have been cool to have, um, have uh, you know, uh, Kurt Russell. Show. You know, I'm a huge Kurt Russell fan and a John Carpenter fan, so he might have done it. Who knows? I mean, we've asked some crazy people to do shit. Like, we got turned down gracefully by Angelina Jolie. She was excited oh, wow. about it and wanted to do it, but actually contractually wasn't able to and let us know that her children were huge fans of the show. So oh, that's cool. That show was a cool show because it actually like transcended into almost like A-list like caliber of talent. You've some great people on that show. Like it's just yeah. voices that pop up out of nowhere. Yeah. Yeah. And like usual, like I always like using like, you know, Fangoria people, horror people, like, you know, I always use Cassandra, who we know as Elvira, and you know, Freddy Krueger, Robert Englund. You know, I love using all those guys. John Cassier, like I love the crazy like com- comedian. Like I, I'm a huge Gilbert Godfrey fan, so hearing him pop up was just oh my gosh. I it's just delightful to me. I just loved it. Yeah, he loved being able to call Roseanne horrible names. <laughs> I was like that like tickled him endlessly, you know. I love Gilbert. I'm a huge Stern fan too. So there's lots of Howard drops in that show. Oh, really? <laughs> oh yeah. Like if you're, if you know about the Howard Stern show at that time, there was like a lot of allusions to the Howard Stern show. Like anything from Richard Christie's band, which was called charred walls, charred flesh of the damned, I think was the name of charred walls of the damned. Like that's actually like on Raph's drum set. Like, Oh wow. The, there's like Beetlejuice jokes in there. There's like, Baba Booey stuff. Like, yeah, we were constantly doing like Howard Stern references left and right. I'm sure I would have gotten in trouble if they one morning just get a shout out on Howard. I'm sure I would have gotten a call. So I don't know what I was thinking. I was amazed that you guys got away with the Venus sticker. That one was always surprising. Oh, why? Because of the. No, it just seems like even so very slightly like, I don't know. I don't know if sexual is the word to use, but it's like. I was just, I maybe didn't get away with it, but I just loved that it was there. And I was like, oh, they, they were cool with that. So, yeah, well, the Venus was the, you know, you, like I'm from the generation that gave their car names. And usually sure. you know, guys would give, you know, every girl I know named their car a guy name. And um, things were simpler, I guess, back then. But, uh, you know, you give your car a lady name. And so we're like, what are you going to name the Shell Razor? It's like, I don't know, Venus. I get it. Like there was also like, you know, there was a lot of stuff we couldn't do. Like, you know, the, the front, cause it was a subway car and the front says, um, the front of a subway car has a little placard that, that says where it's headed or what line it is. Yep. And I had it scratched down, I guess, raft airbrushed, uh, graffiti wrote death from below on it. And we were never allowed to use that. Like, um, which sucks. But I had a, you know, there was another idea um, after the turtle show was ending and it was like the writing was on the wall. They, I, I pitched a movie to them, a turtles CG feature, which I guess would have been like straight to on demand or whatever, straight to DVD, whatever it is, whatever they call it now. 
Um, but it was about the return of the Krang, and that was really cool. Oh, wow. that, was a, that was a story that was going to take place probably – it was going to be all new Turtles. So it was going to be them like maybe like 19 or 20 years old. Okay. And it was going to be basically like more of a – it was very, very much a horror story. It was um, – it was like the remains of, because I think after the events of it would have been season two, I think there was like remains of Crank Prime or season three at the bottom of the, of the Hudson. So that stuff has like somehow with mutagen like attached itself to plankton or whatever and it has become this like sentient ooze that makes okay. its way back to Manhattan. And it becomes this like creature that is unstoppable and um i forget what did i call it It was like the krang primordius it was like a humanoid sludge beast okay that was made of like krang guts like the blob but it could like attach to things and possess them so it was like part blob and part uh john carpenter's the thing but it was like casey heavy and it was like focused a lot on like April and like her having like kind of grown apart from the guys because she went off to college. And and like like a final like like all the beef had to be dealt with like between Casey and and Donnie and like it was all that and like older Mikey. It was cool. It was a cool story. And I think uh-huh. again, they were just like, we hope, we hope, but you know. The reason Turtles didn't happen wasn't a lack of its success. It was just a premeditated decision made by management to reboot things. Sure. And their decision, like, it was like, they explained it to me very clearly. Like, one person in specific who isn't even there anymore. She was just like, this is what you do with big franchises. Every five years, you reboot it. That's just the way it is. And I go, that's crazy oh, to me. Like, that doesn't like- make any sense, but okay. Like Sponge, like I mean, I, this is me. I don't know if this is an pr- appropriate example, but like SpongeBob's been SpongeBob forever. Like you wouldn't, like I, the way you guys, like I could see the way you guys did Tales. I could see ten more seasons of Tales, and you do like you know ten, fifteen episodes a season. Like I think, like I, I like the reboot in the Tales because it kind of gave it like this new life where it was like, okay, we have these truncated stories. They're either like five episodes or three or two or even Lone Rat and Cubs, which is just one fantastic one. Like, yeah, love the fact that I, I thought that could have gone on for a long time because you could have just done these short little chapters. And I, I don't know, I'm, I'm I still wish that something would come up with that. Well, you never know. I yeah. mean, I mean, would I do turtles again? I, I would do my turtles again. Like, sure. I, w- I would dip in maybe, like, but I, I don't know if I could do it as long as I did it last time. But I, I would love to lend myself to, I mean, that's a you know, I've become kind of like a turtle ambassador and I'm cool with that. And, but you know, there's no regret. There's no, uh, I, I didn't leave anything really unturned. Like uh, I just, you know, I'm happy with what I did and I sure I'd love to come back. I have more stories within that world, but you know, I was asked to reboot it too. And I just could, I didn't want to, I couldn't like, I didn't, yeah. I, I said to them, I go, well, what's the point? Like I, I put everything that shows really personal to me, like not just because I was a fan, but I put every aspect of my childhood into it. Like it's, it's very informed by my personality and, and life events. And I didn't understand how I was supposed to just kind of do a 180 
and go, here's a new version that I love just as much that I feel great about. Like it would have just felt like a betrayal. And I didn't want to, I really didn't want to recast that. I I didn't want to be the guy that fired these four brilliant turtles. Yeah. You know? So like, I didn't like the idea of a new cast. So in a way I kind of like passed on it or walked. And I don't know if it was a good idea or a bad idea. I mean, it'd be cool to have a job right now, but I mean, in a weird way too, like I, I kind of had to get out of Turtle Joe. Sure. You know. I and mean, plus, like, you can't, so many great. I didn't want to follow that. I didn't want to follow that. Yeah, for, I mean, you got to do 124. I mean, as much as like, it's hard because I remember when it being canceled, me being like super upset about it, and much of Turtle fandom revolting about it. And I think like it it sucks, and I think that you could do 10 more seasons of of tales at least. Um, but like you guys, 124 episodes, it's hard not to be like, and most cartoons last, but like three seasons generally. So yeah, you're lucky if you get 65, it's not happening like 52. Like now the numbers are crazy. Now you're getting like 20 episodes. Wow. Yeah. So, I mean, like you got to tell so many great stories. It's like, it's phenomenal. So yeah, I, I would do like, I would do, I would do a dip thing where like, Every once in a while, they do a movie that's like oh yeah, like, the for, like a straight is, video. Yeah. Do yeah. like one a year. If I had some contract where I could make one of those like every two years or something, I would do that till I died because I, you gotta understand how much those characters mean to me. Like yeah, like the the life I have now, like I don't really put much thought into it because like you know it's like thinking about high school. Like it's just kind of at a certain point it's unhealthy, but like, do I miss them? Like completely. Yeah. Like those, those guys are like my family. Like I'm kind of splintered. So <laughs> hard, you know? Absolutely. I mean, you can see it in the show, how personal and like how emotional it gets. <laughs> so, like I said, the, the, like the, the Karai Miwa stuff, there's so much deep shit in that show. It's just, it's yeah. fantastic. Uh, you know, I usually end these by asking the favorite turtle, but I already asked you that. So do you have a favorite like mutant that's not the four turtles? All right, I'm gonna be quick. I have three percent left on my computer, but I think oh, I'm shit. good. Okay, sorry. But if I, I'm just telling you, just in case I, I blank out. No, it's fine. Favorite just shout a mutant, and we'll end it. <laughs> oh my god, it's gonna come to me. There's so many good ones. I mean, in a weird way, if you ask me, like, Rat King's not really a mutant. I just thought okay. he was so romantic and weird in that in that classical sense. But it's like I love the creep. Oh, sure. Yeah. I mean, I love Bernie Wrightson. I love Swamp Thing. I love Man Thing. I love, like, Plug, all those Marvel guys, like Brunner, like that did Man Thing. Like, that kind of goony 70s swamp horror terror. And the <laughs> fact that he's like, and, and the Rick Veitch story, which was Bloodsucker, which is what I wanted to do, but we, we, we couldn't do Bloodsucker. So, because again, like, I think that storyline was a little hands off. So on the fly, Brandon and I came up with this swamp thing, beast thing, the creep. And it's just like, that's awesome. That thing's awesome. And uh, I have like a prototype of that toy that playmates plan the toy to come out. And then they're like, the oh, it's, uh, it's too scary. We're not allowed. We're not going to do it. I was like, what are you talking about? It's too scary. It's a toy. You're going to hold this thing and be frightened of it. It's a little plastic thing. And and also like um, of course that se- I can segue easily now because I'm talking about it via pl- playmates. They had a problem with Muckman. I love Muckman. Oh, is that uh, that that Muckman's great? That Muckman for like a weird moment became like super super rare. Yeah, because like 
the image like they were going to put it out and it was delayed and then they reduced the number because they thought it was too horrifying and then they then like they found them like yeah. Years later, it was like three hundred dollars on eBay, or whatever. And like two years later, they found all the muckmans and started giving them away, basically for ten bucks. I know muckman's dope. So he's great. I know it's a great toy Voiced by my great friend Grant Moninger. Oh who, wow! He was in charge of. Uh, he's been on like most of my projects, but he he is actually in charge of uh, programming the 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 the. The shows at the America Cinematheque, which is a, which is like the organization that you know cultivates and film preserves, but they play like old movies here. And he's like my old college buddy, like film laureate, like voice actor. He's awesome. He's been Green Lantern for me. Like, uh, he's a funny guy. Um, yeah. You know, Sarah, I'm all set here. I, I just again want to thank you for being here. Thank you for. Again, such a personal, awesome take on the Turtles. Uh, yeah, just on behalf of the fans, thank you so much. I, I appreciate you being here. Thanks, dude. Uh, awesome. I got 3% left. I did it. <laughs> Get right with the shell shock.